Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. week adam thomas and thomas mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature one will have two good movies the other two bad ones both will have to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for each episode let the chaos begin i am adam thomas and i am thomas mariani and watch me drink a glass of water while adam sings not gonna do it even though i just kind of did damn it (laughs) (laughs) but yes in case you couldn't tell from that terrible joke uh we are doing an episode in honor of um the week we're releasing this the much awaited happy time murders comes out in theaters much awaited Uh, my ass well honestly okay backstory the tragedy of that movie is i was aware of this movie for years this is the henson alternative film that is basically um violent gory over-the-top comedy version of roger rabbit we're mm-hmm. just like, oh, humans and puppets are living together, and the whole joke is it's puppets saying curse words. Yeah, I love me the feelings. Yeah, instead it's of, uh, you know, Henson quality puppets, it's just shitty looking puppets. They look like terrible. It's really, it, it looks so low budget. But it's a shame, because I'm a huge fan of, like, the Henson Company, and I love oh, seeing yeah. puppets in film in general. I'm, I'm a, I was raised on a lot of the Muppet stuff, and also just some of his other interesting projects, and then... Puppets, I think, in general, is just, like, something that isn't used enough cinematically. It's just, like, a really fun creation. And we want to keep in mind that for our episode about puppets, uh, we made the terms a bit loose in terms of as long as there's at least, like, a prominent puppet feature, we kind of stated that we would do that, you know, for our mm-hmm. movies. Even also stop motion was on the table for this. We'll probably do a stop motion episode at some point in the future. But right. we opened it up just, like, general puppetry in film. But are you a fan of puppetry in general oh absolutely absolutely i think it's uh you know anytime i see a movie that features it predominantly i mean you're almost instantly taken back to childhood it's it's so fun and even that show that was out for a little while the jim henson show uh, a couple years ago that came out after face off where they had all these people come in and have to create puppets and do a scene with them and everything it was so fun it's it's just it's so wonderful and just magical to see these things that these people created and then they give them life and their own personalities by doing nothing else but just by making them talk and moving their hands and it's moving all, their hands yeah it's all the skeletal structure is literally a fucking hand but we're gonna have our films featuring puppets here and for those of you who are new um both of us come to the table with either two good or two bad movies that the other isn't aware of what they are and we each peak a number between one and ten and whatever gets closest to whichever one we've assigned to one of our two particular films that means we do that particular movie on the show and we each kind of trade off on good and bad quality adam has the two good movies for this week and i have the two bad ones because we always gotta have that double-edged sword here so adam it's time for me to pick a number between one and ten for your two so i am gonna go with number five at number four i had team america world police 
oh well all the magic and wonder of puppetry just going more for <laughs> something over the top and silly okay yeah it's still a funny movie though at number nine i had follow that bird the sesame street movie oh wow i haven't seen that in ages that's a that's a good movie yes uh but uh, now it's time for the bad features adam gonna go with number three okay at number two is the much derided Muppet feature, Muppets from Space. Muppets in Space. Oh, no. They're from Space, Adam. They're not in Space. Oh, from Space. That's oh, the yeah. whole that point. Like he's, the, he's an alien the... on Earth, Adam. God. That's the whole point. Is that the one with like the full squad of pig astronauts and everything? I don't remember... Oh, that's well, that's even worse than if you don't remember. Oh, I haven't boy. seen this since it was in theaters, and I was a very young child. Oh, great. Um, what was your other fucking choice? My choice number eight, maybe you're a bit more receptive to this, is Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure. Why would I be more receptive to that? What about <laughs> me makes you think that I'd be receptive you're, to that? You're more, maybe you're more receptive to just the idea that we didn't do that. Versus we're doing Muppets from Space. Maybe you're a bit more... Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm very receptive then. (laughs) God. Well, this will be a very odd double feature that we'll get to right after this. Gary, I hate to break it to you, but the world is on the brink of disaster. Hey, terrorists! Terrorize this! I've got five terrorists going southeast on Bakalakadaka Street. Soon every country will be in complete chaos. And so you see, the new world is inevitable. It's what? Inevitable. One more time? Inevitable! Things are inevitably going to change. And we are back. Uh, We pulled all the strings together and we have watched our double feature. And it's a curious double feature. Uh, we are doing our puppet episode. And uh, first we're going to start with our good feature, Team America World Police, uh, which was released in theaters October 15th, 2004, and uh, is made by the South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And before we get into Team America specifically, I guess we should briefly say our own histories with South Park and uh, Orgasmo and Campbell the Musical, all of their various works are you a fan of them in general adam oh yeah in general yeah for sure i even liked basketball for what it was i got chuckles out of it now it's really lousy but when it came out i really liked it and i remember when south park came out i saw the first you know episode and i thought it was the funniest thing in the world now if you go back and watch those first you know couple seasons they're really bad yeah i'm definitely a fan of theirs not so much on cannibal the musical but yeah i I like trey parker and matt stone for sure i mean i used to be a huge south park fan it was around the time when simpsons started waning as a show that i started getting into south park and it was definitely a thing where i was too young to watch it and then i grew to really get into it and i think i kind of stopped around the time of um that 2016 election season really just kind of showed how much their... Yeah, that was a lousy season. Oh, yeah. That was, was lousy. I mean, because they had that problem of, like, oh, we know what's going to happen. Like, we all did. And then we didn't yeah. know. And they're like, fuck, what do we do? And the continuity thing. It, and I and I haven't watched much from then. Apparently, I've heard it hasn't been that great since. 
I actually haven't either. I think I've caught an episode here and there. I did like the two video games, the newer two newer ones. Those are pretty good. Actually. Yes, those, those are fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because with those video games, and I think like with Team America, I think it tends to work best when um, they sort of focus more on being satirical on specifically like pop culture. In this case, uh, Team America, along with being somewhat of a political satire, which we'll probably get into, is very much a satire of Jerry Bruckheimer-produced action films. Um, a lot of from around this time, Pearl Harbor, which has a song dedicated to uh, the actual soundtrack, which I love now because in context, it's so 180 of how our perspectives on uh, Ben Affleck and Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> it's so I the know. I know, that's so funny, though. <laughs> What I, like I said, I think that stuff where it's more satirizing the Jerry Bruckheimer action cinema stuff is where it's at its prime best. Like, for example, the opening sequence uh, is some of the best satire of sort of the gung-ho post-9-11 militarism in action of just like, oh, we're going to come in and stop these terrorists in Paris. But it's like, oh, wait, we've destroyed essentially all of Paris. But it's fine. We're good. We saved everybody. <laughs> We stopped the WMDs or whatever the hell. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, this movie, there's things in it that you watch it now, and, and I find offensive back when I didn't find them. You know, my tastes have changed, my outlook on things have changed, but then I think about it, and it's like, these guys don't care. The one thing I appreciate about Trey Parker and Matt Stone, everything is fair game. They don't tend to have too much of an agenda. They make fun of everything. I will argue that maybe they have a bit of an agenda in specifically sort of the celebrity satire. It's definitely, like, the most targeted satire. In the movie with Kim Jong-il, they definitely make sure to make the, like, Hollywood celebrity uh, coalition, the Film Actors Guild, which, of course, if you do the anagram... Yeah, so stupid. Mm -hmm. They're pretty targeted against celebrities. It feels like they've been in LA for so long and they just bitterly hate that celebrity culture enough to where especially like they have the whole scene where all the actors meet and they're just like we should just read things that we see in the newspapers and then say them on television it's like yeah there's there's no subtlety whatsoever with that they're darkly just like we fucking hate celebrity culture (laughs) no 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 I mean I definitely agree but like I said well, I guess more or less when you go to like South Park and stuff, they, I mean, they do target sort of everything in South Park. Not necessarily this movie is the best case, but they, they are definitely a duo to where nothing's off limits for them. Well, yeah, they're, they're, mean, very, they're very libertarian. That, let's yeah, put it that okay, way. They're super that, sure. libertarian <laughs> in terms yeah. of just like, oh, both yeah. sides suck, guys. It doesn't matter. Nihilism, fart joke. That's, right. That, that could yeah. be just yeah, like a nihilism, fart joke. Basically, yeah. we need to talk about the puppetry, of course, because this is our puppet episode. Yeah. And the puppets here were designed by the Chiodo brothers, who you might know from stuff like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the Critters movies. They've been doing practical effects work for decades. And forever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the attention to detail in this movie is phenomenal. It's insane. Yes. To the, to the point where like Trey Parker and Matt Stone have said this was so exhaustive to make they're never going to make a movie again, which they haven't. They haven't uh, yeah, yet. and I can't blame them. One thing I do want to talk about, though, it was so funny that, you know, everything was so meticulous. He's done their movements, the all the series, but the fight scenes. Because <laughs> they couldn't make the marionettes fight well, so they just danced them around each other. 
what works is that they treat that 100% seriously. Like, there's mm-hmm. the scene at the beginning, during the Paris fight, where one of the terrorists fights with, I think it's Chris, the one with the frosted tips, um, and it's just like, alright, let's make this interesting. And they just dance, like you're saying. It's, it's just got, like, like, a guitar riff behind it and everything. Yeah. Yes, and they're just, and he's just like, "Yep, I did it. I defeated this terrorist with my kung fu action, or whatever the yeah. fuck." It's it's so hilarious. Or even when you have like the scale gags, um, like having uh, the panthers be the cute black cats, mm-hmm. or um, the just the little details as well that are in there, like on the their utility belts are like nail clippers. Or how yeah they got like one... pennies for belt buckles and stuff like that. Right, there's a person in Cairo who's got like a basket full of stuff and it's like goldfish crackers (laughs) (laughs) but just like there's they treat all this just like this is a lived in world which i watched some of the special features on the dvd and what's interesting is they talk about the idea that the comedy comes from the characters but the environment is supposed to be one like treat 100 seriously which makes the joke so much funnier when you you, like i agree yeah there's no way in hell, even with all the meticulous detail and everything they did, that you can treat any of it seriously. You can't. It's puppets. I mean, it's just little marionettes. And I mean, that's the thing. They're not even Jim Henson puppets or Vitrolicus puppets. They're marionettes. They're on strings. So the range of mood, movement is, you know, real limited and everything. It just, it works so well. Right, because we should obviously talk about the inspiration for this movie was Thunderbirds Are Go, which was an old 60s TV show that utilized marionettes. But treat it 100% seriously. Though if you watch... The, they've mm-hmm. commented on this as well, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, that if you watch the actual show, it's dull as dirt. It's just so mm-hmm. much boring exposition and not much action going Oh, yeah. On. I mean, but, even to the point where they tried to make a live-action version of that show, and it was dull as shit. Yeah, apparently Jonathan <laughs> With, Frakes uh, couldn't do it. Oh, God, I forgot. That was it's directed by, oh, by Riker himself, boy. Jonathan Franks. Yeah, another um, paycheck movie for Ben Kingsley. Oh, God. They they sort of took that aesthetic, which is great, and they turned it into this Jerry Bruckheimer satire. And I love the fact that they even went so far as to get Bill Pope to do the cinematography. And if you don't know who Bill Pope is, he has been the DP on films like The Matrix, the Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, <laughs> Edgar Wright's recent movies. Um, He's... A seasoned action veteran and especially even the way that the movie is shot just feels exactly like this is a serious totally legit fucking action movie from like that era from like the late 90s early 2000s and you get sort of just sucked into this environment and this world that's super fucking silly because of the characters but it feels like it's no, we're treating this seriously, even though we got, like, puppets flailing their arms. I agree. Uh, you know, just to get into it real quick, what was one of your favorite one-off jokes in this movie? Uh, I love, there's just a point where it's, uh, it, this is one of those gags where it's more just Trey Parker and Matt Stone kind of riffing on the vocal inflections, where I think it's Martin Sheen and Tim Robbins are talking to, like, Tim America as they're, like, being imprisoned, and they're like, yeah, you can't mess with this, we're guards, we're guards. It's one of my favorites, dude. We're guards. Uh, my favorite is uh, I can't think of his name Codsworth or whatever where he's talking to the main guy and he's like you know if you get caught you might want to kill yourself you better take this and it's a rusty hammer with duct tape on the handle <laughs> oh yeah Spotswood <laughs> which Trey Parker and Matt Stone do most of the voices but shout out to Darren Norris who is a veteran voice actor 
who you might know as the voice of Cosmo and the dad on Fairly Odd Parents, amongst other things, is such a funny fucking voice in this movie. Oh, Every oh. time he just has he has that it's like that Cary Grant voice, the sort of mid Atlantic yep. accent that's just so funny to hear anything of. Of course, especially maybe the best line in the whole movie. You see this? This is my serious face. Yeah, I'm not here to offer you a job, and I'm not going to fuck your mouth. <laughs> no, get in. <laughs> oh man. My least favorite part of the whole movie is all the Kim Jong-il stuff. I hate stereotypical Asian accents. For some reason, I never find them funny. Mm-hmm. You know, even to the song where he pronounces his L's, his R's. To me, it it, it almost drags at the, his points. Yeah, it, it, they use the English, and it's not that great. I remember really liking that, especially at the time. And now, it's it's been so long. I just, it, it definitely feels like I agree. It's, especially in recent light, just feels kind of... Stereotypical, but without much intent. He feels anything. It's just like it's English over the Cartman character. That's like all it is. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I never thought of that way, but yeah, absolutely, it is. The only funny, the funniest part with him is with uh, Hans Blix. So uh, stupid. But at the same time, Kim Jong Il isn't actually a bad idea for a villain. Not only because of obviously North Korea's position at that time, but also him as a character in real life was actually very interested in film and theatricality. And he, he actually kidnapped oh, yeah, he was... a guy, a director in South Korea, and forced him to make a movie and teach him how to make movies and shit. So it's not oh a bad idea. God, I know yeah, cool. I know that. That's a real story. It's fucked up and weird. It's great. 100% true. Uh, so he's a really great concept for a villain. He's basically a Bond villain. Yeah. The best moments with him really are just some of the smaller asides. Like I like when he's talking to Lisa and he keeps say, trying to say inevitable. And he's yeah. like, God... God, things are inevitably going to change. Open your fucking ears. <laughs> yeah, inevitable. It's going to be inevitable. Right, right. When it's more of just like it's almost Elmer Fuddish thing is when it works mm-hmm. better than when it's just, once again, English. All the other characters, like especially Gary, our lead, um, I think is a great satire of very much the Ben Affleck action hero that was in, yes. like, around that era. They use Ben Affleck as, like, a model. And you can kind of tell that, though, he looks a lot like Chris Pine. Oh, yeah, he really does. Yeah. He looks exactly he does. like Chris Pine. But um, th- those are where I think some of the best Trey Parker uh, vocal inflections come in. After Alec Baldwin does his whole speech, and he's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't want the guilt. I don't want the pain. <laughs> and, <laughs> I can't go out. Can't go out. Yes, the, the air. <laughs> um, the, the wonderful stuff there. And, of course... Another great scene, like, the whole romance between him and Lisa is some of the funniest stuff. There's obviously the infamous puppet sex scene, which yeah. is, um, it's it's funny on just, like, how far they take it, especially in the unrated version. Yeah. Uh, but the best scene for me with the two of them is when they're doing their monologuing to each other on Mount Rushmore, and they mm. just talk about, like, oh, yeah, my brother was killed in a gorilla accident, <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> It's like, look, I've been through a lot, Gary. I don't know if I can love again. And it's like, I promise I will never die. <laughs> Dude, he had some blueberries in his pockets. The gorilla just went wild. <laughs> I was doing a bit of acting, walking across the gorilla encampment. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, man. I love, too, the stuff. The so-called cutting-edge plastic surgery they give him to make him look like a terrorist. Which and it comes is... out, it's, just, it's horrible makeup, like a towel and pubic hair on his face. Right, yeah, that gag works, um, especially because it feels very much like a satire of, like, face-off. 
it is so a direct parody of Face Off in oh, terms absolutely. of that aesthetic. Um, maybe not so much when it goes to actually like to Cairo and it becomes the whole, uh, you know, the actual Middle Eastern terrorists and just the whole yeah. Durka Durka thing. It, yeah. Oh, Durka Durka Durka. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Uh, though my favorite part of that is the uh, well, Ada, I love your balls, that guy. <laughs> but um, when he's given the signal to get out, he's like, uh, what does he say? Kiss me, kiss me. <laughs> he's like. Fucking asshole! <laughs> they go to kill him. <laughs> they completely forgot the signal. Right, but but what are some of your favorite sort? Because this is obviously an action movie, along with being a puppet sure. movie and a musical and a comedy. What's your favorite action set piece of the whole movie? That scene I was just talking about—the whole car chase when he's escaping through the with the WMD in the back of the terrorist jeep and they're chasing him. Uh, I just think that's such a—it's so funny and so well done. To where they're shooting missiles and they somehow blow up the Sphinx. And all these other things. I, I just thought it was so well done. I love the Panama explosion. I think oh, that a... is such a perfect dead-on satire of especially Roland Emmerich movies. In fact, we should talk about the fact that this originally started life as a satire of The Day After Tomorrow. And by satire, I mean they literally got the script while the movie was in production. And they're like, we should just do this script exactly as it is, but with puppets. Oh, that's funny. And they would have wanted yeah. to release it the day after and call it the day after the day after tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I honestly don't think I've ever seen the day after tomorrow. Is that the one with uh, Gyllenhaal? Yeah, it's the one with Gyllenhaal where the whole thing is it's global warming literally chasing yeah, him down yeah, a corridor. Yeah, yeah I've never Which, seen that. You had the right <laughs> idea, Roland. You just did it not well at all. <laughs> to get back to the action stuff and the sort of satire of those movies... I think those movies treat themselves so seriously that having this movie that just enraptures the idea of destruction sort of has this um, fascination with it, but at the same time is being very satirical about the idea that, like, well, we're a task force that's supposed to save everybody, and how that just go tits up. It's it's so fun to see, especially when you have real things that are there as opposed to, like, the overly CG, especially in those Roland Emmerich movies. Having things right. like, actually just explode even if it's, like, small and miniature, I, it, it makes me just, like, I want to explore that set. I want to be the go- the statue that is in Kim Jong-il's uh, palace, which is an actual person. <laughs> yeah, paint I bronze, know. And you can it's see so moving and blinking during the I'm, <laughs> I'm so lonely number. <laughs> I just love the idea of the, you know, that, of course, it's Team America world police that America knows best for everyone else, and they're going to police the entire world. Uh, still kind of, uh, still kind of makes sense. What I also thought worked was something that they said in the special features that actually is pretty true, is that each of these sort of foreign nations feels less like the actual sort of representation of those places, and more like if someone who only went to Epcot depicted yeah, the world. What right, they sort exactly. of viewed it as, like, especially the French, the France scene, is mm-hmm. fucking ridiculously Epcot. With a Louvre is right next to the, you know, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it's like if you only went to, you know, one of the touristy, even if you only went to Paris, but you knew what all of France was because you went to Paris. You know, a tourist would be like, yeah, the Louvre is right by the Eiffel Tower. It's like, no, it really isn't, but you just did the touristy parts. Mm-hmm. And I like the, the false setup in the beginning, too, where it was the little kids' puppets, and then it right. zoomed out, and it's the whole puppet world. I thought that was very well done. The first footage they showed the executives at Paramount was that footage. 
And when the <laughs> shitty puppet showed up, an executive actually said, oh my god, they fucked us. And then the whole shot happens. The glorious, like, pan out, which is great. Honestly, what I yeah. also like is it's clear that Bill Pope and Trey Parker and Matt Stone took advantage of, like, so we're going to do super elaborate things we could never do in a regular movie and have these elaborate crane shots, like, over the entire, like, North Korea landscape. There's so many, like, gorgeous shots that are just, like, you could never get this kind of a tracking shot ever. And they just take full advantage of that scenario, of just this opportunity. It feels really like they knew this is a movie that really had never been made before and would never really be attempted again. And yeah, no, there's no way, right? Yeah, you're right. They they knew what their limitations were, and they ex- they exploited. You know, they made the best out of the situation they had. And like you said, there'd there'd be no way to get any of those shots with live action or anything like that. So they used everything to their advantage. They really made the most out of every dime, and then put some of those dimes on the characters' belts. Now, did you see this when it first came out, or was this after it came out? No, I saw it when it first came out. Um, I was 12, and my father took me, and very infamously, I remember getting out of it, and he's just like, man, I didn't know that movie was really going to be that extreme. Oh yeah, it's real extreme. I I saw it when it came out on uh, home video or DVD or whatever, and I bought it, mm-hmm. and I took it over to my mother's house, and my mother is very like conservative, she doesn't swear, she doesn't drink, she doesn't do anything. Uh, you know, bad language bothers her in movies, that type of thing. And she was curious about it because she grew up when the Thunderbirds were on and everything. She's like, oh, I want to watch that. And I put it on. And especially, I mean, it took a while, but when it got to Alec Baldwin's scene of his speech, she left the room. <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out to veteran voice actor Maurice LaMarche for doing a very impressive Alec Baldwin impression. Yeah, he was the best celebrity impression of the movie. The rest are awful. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> Trey Parker, Susan Sarandon is dead on. Yeah, yeah, David. <laughs> well, that that's just genius, just because right, I love yeah, the fact that the puppet. Yeah, because well, yeah, the puppet apparently came out and just like, looked that dumb and Neanderthalish, and they're just like, nah, we need to just we need to just do this, and that's become a meme. There have been plenty of things out of this that have become memes that still last to this day, like a Matt Damon. Apparently, Matt Damon still hears that on the street. Um, Alec Baldwin oh, still hears your worthless Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't believe what they were able to accomplish with just puppets. It's insane. It's it's insane. Like you said, this is an undertaking that had never been done to this level before, and I can pretty much guarantee I don't think anyone would ever attempt it again. Nah, especially considering the horror stories that Trey Parker and Matt Stone talked about. And keep in mind, this year, not only were they doing Team America, they also, right after Team America was done, like that, they did that during the summer, and then they're like, okay, now we have to do post-production on Team America while doing the eighth season of South Park. That's insane. They must have been exhausted. But interestingly, the eighth season, what I love about the, you know sort of the double wedge of this movie and then that season is that season eight is one of my favorite seasons too because that has the weird experiments that just sort of come out of how tired they are. Like the Good Time with Weapons anime episode, which is phenomenal. Oh, that's the best. And then that's also my the, favorite episode. And Woodland Critter Christmas as well as that season. And that's at the oh, very tail end. <laughs> I love the song from the anime episode. It's one of my favorite things ever. Let's fighting love. Protect my balls. <laughs> yes. No, these guys, and the thing is, these guys are so smart too. Uh, they really are. These two are comedic geniuses. 
they they i i just i to me they're the south park for a long time like i said i i fell off but to me south park was one of the smartest shows on television for a while where i mean especially with their turnaround where each episode was done in a week written yes. to animated to voice to everything in one week that's insane yeah, especially if they've done that for so many years. I think since, like, the third or so season, they've been pretty much yeah. doing that. That way and... they could keep up. They could be topical every week. Right. Which I remember, I'll, I'll say this, that, like, watching South Park at a young and impressionable age, it definitely sort of painted a, my worldview to a certain extent when I was younger. Sure. There was, there was definitely a bit of just like, oh, man, they're so right. Everybody sucks. This is so true. And, you know, just as time has gone on, I've just kind of grown out of that. And I did just kind of realize after a certain point, like, you know... These guys, like the, every, both sides are bad. Whatever is fine, but maybe not one to treat seriously when they're having celebrities team up with a dictator, like Kim Jong Il. Yeah. yeah, they have to wait until Scott Bayo does that later before that becomes a thing. Oh God! But anyway, let's go into our final thoughts about Team America. Um, you know, Team America when it first came out, I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen, and it still gives me quite a good chuckle. I mean, just on what they accomplished alone, I, I think it's worth to be seen by anybody. I mean, it's a monumental feat that they accomplished, and it's all there on screen. And you could, if you wanted to freeze frame any scene of this movie, you could pick out little things, little, you know, little Easter eggs or whatever you want to call them. And, I mean, it's just everywhere. It, it's so well done and so artistically crafted and just so much care and time was put into it that I think just for that alone, it's worth a watch for anybody. Yeah, I would very much agree with that. I, I I think it's it's not my favorite of their films that they've done of them. I would still say the South Park movie. South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut, still holds up very well. I think that one has like still so much pointed satire and um, really great musical numbers and all that other stuff that makes it probably their best feature to this day and one of the best sort of spinoffs of a show to film. But I still really do enjoy Team America quite a bit. It's... Like we said, even if not all the jokes hold up very well or land to this day, um, the production design and the attention to detail still makes it just, like, so worth watching. And it's such a unique beast because there really aren't that many movies featuring marionettes to this level that have become, that were before or since. And especially with this sort of American political spectrum and also the parody of American action films, one of my favorite things we didn't talk about is during the opening scene the uh, the death of Carson the team america member who Lisa is with um has the most pointed beautiful take of the ancillary character dying and inspiring the hero it's just like no you have to go on. <laughs> i was going to say there's another one of the odds you have to go out <laughs> <laughs> and also another scale gag that's great there is when he pulls up the ring she's like I want you to marry me and it's clearly a human hand holding the ring that they <laughs> just put in the into camera. frame yeah. <laughs> and how even uh, there are and... points where the puppets are kind of self-aware like there's the point where Lisa is pointing at Gary just like look what matters is what's here and it's awkwardly yeah. pointing and she looks down at her finger because <laughs> it can't the quite get she there she tries to shush him and she's just poking him in the eye <laughs> <laughs> but it treats itself seriously in the way of sort of like a you mentioned basketball a zucker style 
Um, they, they definitely take that aesthetic to it and just say, you know, this, the characters are treating this 100% seriously, but they're saying silly, stupid things. And uh, like we said, not every joke holds up. The, the political satire is a bit off <laughs> from especially a modern perspective, but it's still a unique beast that is worth viewing at least once. I can hear. But let's get to perhaps more famous and renowned puppets in not one of their best efforts. Muppets Ooh. from Space. The Muppets are taking over the summer. People of Earth, do not be alarmed. This guy's a freak show. And returning to the big screen with a bang. Whoopee! I'm an alien! Join Kermit, Kermit, Piggy, Piggy, and all your favorite Muppets. Rizzo? Bingo. Huh? On the wildest space adventure of all. This is Miss Piggy with the Indian exclusive. This is my story. Muppets from Space, rated G. Only in theaters July 14th. Alright, so if this isn't one of the most misleading fucking titles for a full-length film, um, yeah, you do get Muppets from Space in the last ten minutes of the movie. Well, technically, uh, Adam, you have Gonzo in that throughout the entire film. He's from oh, space. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Which was completely unnecessary to even do. I liked that Gonzo was just some weird thing. I didn't even know that he was an alien. I don't <laughs> think that was necessary. Look, it was the summer of 99. Episode 1 came out. Everyone was into unnecessary uh, origin stories uh, uh. for alien creatures. So had you seen this before, Adam? You know, I had... And I think I saw it when it came out because I was a huge Muppet fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, in fact, I can honestly say this was the last one I seen. I didn't see the uh, one with Jason Siegel or the sequel. I did see a couple episodes of the TV series they tried to do recently, um, which I actually thought were kind of funny. I, I can honestly say this one kind of killed the Muppets for me. I, I just think I find it so boring and bland. Yeah, uh, this is one that I saw in a theater. Actually, I remember one, the, one of the first movies I ever saw in a the theater was Muppet Treasure Island. That's one that I had a pretty big attachment to. And I actually rewatched that along with this one in prep for the show because this is it's important to talk about this era of the Muppets because mm-hmm. this is about a decade or so after Jim Henson passed away. And the 90s were a very rocky time for the Muppets because you had three features. Yeah. You had initially a Muppet Christmas Carol, which everybody loves. Still a timeless. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, yeah, that's a good like, one. Yeah, a very beloved adaptation of that story. Um, and then Muppet Treasure Island was also in that decade, which, having rewatched it, it's not a great movie, um, but yeah. it's got Tim, Tim Curry. Curry. Yeah, I was going to say, Tim Curry is so, so fucking good, good in it. <laughs> He's so great. Uh, and then Muppets from Space, and I think what's missing from Muppets from Space, along with, you know, it's something that's in the, a lot of the other ones, um, and even what was missing to say, like a Muppets Tonight, which was their attempt to do the Muppet Show in the '90s as well on ABC for a brief period. Uh, the trouble that I think is really missing, amongst many, is that there isn't really a strong human, either pro or antagonist. Because when you think back yeah. at all the different Muppet movies, they have at least one sort of recurring supporting human character that really sort of ties everything together. In the Muppet movie, the first one, it's Charles Durning. Yep. In uh, The Great Muppet Caper, it's maybe the best human to ever work with Muppets, Charles Grodin. Yeah, he's so fantastic. <laughs> um, in Muppets Take Manhattan, I, there's the... It's the waitress. The I waitress. can't think of her name. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not, not one of the better examples. Um, but uh, but then Michael Caine in A Christmas Carol and mm-hmm. Tim Curry in Treasure Island. And here for this movie, it's Jeffrey Tambor. 
And he's terrible. No, but you're 100% right. You need that human character just to to ground it a little bit. And it almost makes the the Muppets not seem so out of place. Right. Because they're interacting with the human character the whole time. Right, yeah, and Jeffrey Tambor in this movie, his most of his direction is just scream at things, which isn't funny, and also in yeah. more recent context, given yeah, what you've... Yeah, it's really not funny. No. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. What, hap- what he did to Jessica Walter on the side of Arrested Development, yelling and screaming at her, and that's all he does yeah. to the Muppets, and then they give him, like, a happy ending, which is really weird, because it's like, you never made me yeah. at all like this guy. Yeah, it's... No, he was trying to dissect Gonzo, for God's sakes. Yeah, but you never made him, like, an interesting antagonist or somebody fun. Like, you never are supposed to be endeared to Charles Durning in the Muppet movie. No. But right. he's a fucking great villain to go against Kermit. Same thing with Charles Grodin and mm-hmm. his obsession with Miss Piggy, which I rewatched yeah. that, too, and it's still so fucking funny. That's probably their best one. I know, yeah, it's it's always a toss-up with the Muppet movie and Great Muppet Caper for me, but, yeah. Those other movies also kind of anchored themselves on either the Muppets as a group or Kermit, specifically. And the problem yes. is, with this movie, I love Gonzo. Gonzo's my favorite Muppet. Mm-hmm. But he's not somebody you can really anchor a story around. Yeah, I agree. Gonzo was always my favorite, too. But uh, he was always best as a side character. Um, Kermit was always the heart. Gonzo was always just the Gonzo character. He's a goofball. You know, he'd come in with the chicken and you know, everything like that. He was just a goofball. And, and maybe that's where they lost it, too, with this. I don't know. It's just... Honestly, I didn't even know this was in the fucking theaters. I thought yeah. this was one of the ones that was straight to DVD. Because the one when you first mentioned this, I got it confused with what, what is it like, Pigs in Space or whatever? Right. Yes, Pigs the, in the Muppet Space, spin-off. the Muppet Show. Yeah, yeah, the Muppet Show sketch that would be recurring. Yeah. Yeah, but they did, they did a straight to DVD version of that. I don't believe they did. As far as I'm willing to bet they did, but you could be right. Look up Muppet Wiki, motherfucker. Do it. <laughs> They have an extensive list. <laughs> All right. But but anyway, it also doesn't help that in this 90s era, they were definitely trying to introduce characters that felt less like organic members of the Muppets and mm-hmm. more just like we're really trying to like do a poochie. And that's personified by fucking Peppy the Prawn, who is yeah always terrible, always been annoying, and was pretty much just created because it's like, oh, hey, we need... A kind of racist stereotype that also could sell Long John Silvers. Like, that's right. That's what fucking Pepe was, and especially like he was sort of toxic. I think to that brand because he was so much of the Poochie. They were trying to make him something interesting, and they have some of the other characters that show from like Muppets Night who aren't memorable. The only newer Muppet who is in this movie, I think, has lasted quite deservedly, is the Bear Bobo the Bear. Yeah, he was funny. Because he's, it's this weird idea of, like, he is kind of like the scary bear-looking character, but he's super sweet and super sincere, just like, oh, hey, you want a peanut butter banana sandwich? You cut the crusts off and everything. <laughs> and, which makes you hate Jeffrey Tambor even more, because he's the underling to Jeffrey Tambor, who just screams mm-hmm. at him the whole time. And it's like, you should shut the fuck up about Bobo. <laughs> Bobo's want, the best. You want the goat? No, the remote. I thought you said the goat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by uh, the way, we're both half right and half rock. Space Pigs was a 28-minute short film straight to DVD. Ah. So, suck my balls, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the Team America discussion anymore. We're not doing that. <laughs> um, but also, I think, along with like those newer characters who aren't that great, 
they sort of just lose track of the other classic Muppet characters. Like, Kermit is barely a non-entity in this movie at all. He's just... Yeah, at all. No. They don't give a fuck about him. Miss Piggy is grating. This is around the time where Miss Piggy's sort of shtick got super annoying. And also, like, Fozzie's barely a character. And I found out the big reason for that is because Frank Oz couldn't be on the set because he was busy directing other movies. So they had other puppeteers do the actual puppeteering, and he would dub his voice in later, and it feels like it. It just Oh, it completely does. That's why they're afterthought characters, 100%. I mean, look, dude, when you think of the Muppets, you think of Kermit and Peggy. I think most people do. Um, You think of Kermit just in love with Miss Piggy for whatever reason. You think of Miss Piggy just being a psychopath, but ultimately in love with Kermit, too. And they didn't even go and expel on that at all. Like, there was no real love interest, love angle between the two of them that much at all. Well, necessarily, like, when I think of the Muppets, and I, like you, was a huge Muppet fan, especially Mm -hmm. throughout my childhood, and even to this day, I still appreciate them, is I think of them as a group. I never really think of just Piggy and Kermit. I think of how are Fozzie and Gonzo and even Sam the Eagle or Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, how are any of those people going to react off of each other? Or react off of a different celebrity cameo or whatever. And we no, should talk about this one either. Well, I mean, that was because after Jim Henson died, they sort of retired Rolf for a while. They didn't really bring oh. him back until about like a decade and a half after he died, they started actually using him. Because he was like the first Muppet to become famous at all. Because he was on like mm-hmm. the Jack Benny show and all that other shit. Um, so they kind of retired him for a bit. It doesn't help also that I think uh, we should point out that the director is Tim Hill who is mostly known for doing schlocky children's films of recent, like the Chipmunks movies, for example. Speaking oh, of rest of development people not giving a shit, David Cross. It's a recurring motif yeah. in his work. Um, it, yeah, no shit. It, it, it just feels like this is so flatly directed. And what you can say about like any of those movies being silly, gauche, or whatever, it's something similar to what we talked about with Team America, is that Jim Henson or whoever was taking the director's chair and you give him a point. Even Frank Oz did for Muppets Take Manhattan's like his first movie. Um, they they felt like they were actually trying to do innovative, different stuff with the Muppets, and it felt like yeah. it copied the cinematic form they're trying to do. Like, the Muppet movie feels like a 70s road movie. The Great Muppet Caper feels like an old-school heist movie. Right. Um, the Muppets Take Manhattan feels like an on-the-town, sort of, uh, we're young kids trying to get our way in the world kind of movie. This movie doesn't have any direction and therefore it yeah. doesn't really have a, a good directorial voice behind it it's shot like a really bland comedy from around this era yeah you're right it, it's like they didn't give a shit it's not that they didn't give a shit but they didn't have the heart that you know henson or oz did to where they cared and loved these characters this guy you know he wants to make a muppet movie and it's almost like he didn't do any research mm-hmm like he just used whatever I, I don't know it's just like, like you said I mean maybe that's part of it why it's so boring it's so bland to where you don't I I mean I lost myself watching this I don't know how many times celebrity cameos only save it so much you know what I mean yeah we should talk about some of those celebrity cameos yeah, that are, like do any of them work is there any one of those celebrity cameos that actually work to you <laughs> Uh, the the one that was probably the most fun was Ray Liotta, just because it's Ray Liotta playing yes. so against type. I agree. That was the funniest bit of any of the celebrity cameos, because he gets like sprayed with this like spray that makes anybody do what Miss Piggy wants, and right. um, he is just like, 
what was I going to do? Let you in. Oh, yeah. And then he lets everybody yeah, in. Come on here to have a good time. Wow, what, what a, a wonderful family. What a wonderful family. <laughs> yes, I, I completely agree because it's not fucking Rob Schneider. It's not. David Arquette. Oh, God. Yeah. It's not uh, Andy McDowell. F. Murray Abraham as Noah was kind of fun. Yeah. That was kind of. You'll need this. It's like a little Kathy Griffin. <laughs> nah, that. I mean, that cool. doesn't work more just because, you know, the animal shtick of woman doesn't feel like it's that funny anymore. Because, well, A, because it's been done to death. Yeah. I mean, it's been done over and over and over. I don't mind the fact that he's woman crazy because he's an animal. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's just been done so many times. Where it's like, there's nothing. That's a, that's another thing about this one. The, the, there is no new jokes in this movie. The Hulk Hogan one was interesting to me. If nothing else, for it has a whole new context now when he says, just like, what do you want? I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you are Hulk. <laughs> or Hollywood, yeah, I'm I, sorry. Hollywood. Hogan. You're Hollywood Hogan. Yeah, but I saw a better Hulk Hogan cameo in Gremlins too. Yes. You know, True. You know, I've seen it. I've seen the Hulk Hogan cameo where he comes in and he's the tough guy. And he makes everybody, you know, what? I've seen it. And Pat Hingle was like, you know, just why is Pat Hingle in this movie? It's <laughs> just like, hey, I'm, I'm off during my breaks on Batman and Robin. I'll shoot a couple scenes for this movie. Right. Sure. Basically. Um, yeah, and even, like, there's the random-ass Dawson's Creek cameo that no one would get if they watched this now. What was the point of that? For Pepe to creepily hit on Katie Holmes. Right. That's that's it. Ooh, how hilarious. Yeah, Yeah, this was, this was a rough one, man. Like I said, when you recommended I got it confused with Space Pigs, I'm like, okay, you know, I think I might have seen this one, and I think I might have liked it. Yeah, I was way wrong. I would definitely recommend giving the newer Muppet movies a chance. I think the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, um, while I have issues with them um, that clearly show they're sort of like a post-Henson era Muppet movie, I think sure. they still have a lot more heart and a lot more charm. And more importantly, something that also missing from the story, I talk about direction. It's also just any of the Muppet movies have a simple narrative structure that you can go, like immediately follow. The Muppets are on a road trip, want to go to Hollywood and make a movie. The Muppets are trying to stop a caper that, uh, involving, like, diamond heists. The Muppets are trying to make it on Broadway. The Muppets do The Christmas Carol, or the Muppets do Treasure Island. Like, there is a simple narrative structure that's going on down the line. With this one, it's like, Gonzo wants to, like, find out who, what his roots are, and then he makes, like, the messages that can be seen from space, and there's also a government agency, and then the other Muppets try and, like save Gonzo from being captured and then they go back and then the Muppets actually come down from space and then Gonzo may be going up with them but doesn't it feels clunky yeah I agree and then that musical you know scene at the end that where they were singing celebrate was just so tacked on and thrown in just because they're Muppets they gotta sing yeah and this wasn't a musical which I wouldn't have been against no. and they made the interesting choice of it all being like funk songs because they got like George Clinton and uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and all these other... They have a right. really, I think, honestly, a kind of cool cover by the Dust Brothers of Shining Star that I yeah. would only have come out in this era. This is the only time where that could possibly happen. Is oh, that yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, they, they just sort of... It's, it's a weird aesthetic choice, and but they kind of commit to it, and then they don't with that ending. So it's, definitely, it's just a movie that's not committed to anything. It's really interesting considering I, I have a list in here of the various different Muppet productions that were rumored and bounded about around this time and a bit after this time, and mm-hmm. which is 
why I recommend going on Muppet Wiki, because there's so much extensive stuff about this. There's Muppets in Space, where Kermit's abducted by aliens. There's a Hamlet production uh, called Kermit, Prince of Denmark, which would have had Jason Alexander as Claudius, and was actually written by the guys who would later go on to write Avenue Q. Oh, okay. Yes. um, Yeah, that would have been fun. There was a Muppet time travel movie where Animal was going to be the missing link. Like, he'd go back in time and become the missing link of the Stone Age. Um, there was the Muppets get a haunted hotel. Oh, that could have been fun. Right. And my, my favorite, the one that I hope at some point in some universe they do, is the one that's been around for ages called The Cheapest Muppet Movie Ever. Which is one where Gonzo would di- was put on to direct a movie about the Muppets. But the whole thing is he blows the budget in the opening credits. And so the movie gets progressively cheaper looking as it goes along. Yeah, I read about that. How funny would that be? Honestly, that would like, be so good. Honestly, do it. Get Michelle Gondry to direct it. It'll be great. And it doesn't even have to be Gonzo. Make it Kermit. You don't make it Kermit. That's fine. <laughs> Just make it. But, that, and you have like Gonzo as a producer who makes the, yeah. the opening title sequence the big budget thing. Mm-hmm. And then just really, like, go deep into it. Yeah, all those ideas sound far more interesting than just Gonzo's and Alien guys, which they've abandoned even since. They, they yeah. really don't want you to remember this movie at all. With good one, reason. One good bit in this movie that I did like is when they're in the bus and it's Kermit's like, you know, we all got to stick together. We're a family. Oh, uh, we left Honeydew at Beaker back at the gas station. Okay, from this point on, we all have to stick together. We're a family. See, you know, I want to like that joke. But then the sickler in me is just like, that's a character for Kermit. Kermit would never do that. <laughs> no, I get it. I would say my, my favorite bits in this movie are stuff like, actually, I mentioned it, the uh, the sandwich scene, I think is actually pretty funny. Where the aliens yeah, are like okay. kind of conduiting through the sandwich, and it's just like, can I eat you? Yeah, sure, I'm going to go away in a bit. <laughs> Like that, that's a weird, funny gag that works for the Muppets and also Gonzo, especially. And I don't think it's this is a wasteland of jokes. I don't think this is the bottom of the barrel for the Muppets. If you want to see that, um, there's the Muppets special they did where it's the Wizard of Oz. That is an hour, 30 minutes of garbage. It's just Oh, that was horrible. Garbage. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, for God. a reason. Yeah, you all forgot yeah. about that. Think, that was the first thing they did under Disney, which was a worrying sign of Oh, they're gonna yeah. mess all of this up. <laughs> um, but well, I, I mean, and they had those two Muppet movies that came out, and then they tried to put them on TV, and then there's nothing again. I mean, I the think, Muppets are nowhere again. Well, no, I think that's the problem. It's just that it's hard to kind of adapt them to the times at points. They'll, like, have a brief burst of popularity and then kind of dwindle again and only have, like, oh, we're doing internet shorts now or whatever. Which, even then, they ha- kind of had a burst of fame when they did, like, the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. That was oh, yeah. super viral oh, that's right. yeah. when that came out. But what do you think is sort of a track they should go down? Where, where do you think the Muppets can be utilized now? You know, honestly, I, I think they were hitting it right with Christmas Carol and Treasure Island. Just mm-hmm. adapt literature or, you know, like spoof a, I hate to say it, but even spoof like a classic, like a Hitchcock movie and throw the Muppets in there or something like that. I, I don't think... The times we're living in now would really work with a Muppet movie mm-hmm. uh, to make it topical. So you'd have to do something sort of in the past or something, you know, that doesn't reference what we're what's going on now. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
maybe let the Muppets stay dormant for a little while. I mean, I hate to say it, I love the Muppets, but maybe it's not time for Muppets right now. I think what they definitely need is new blood. I think that's the biggest thing, because like, that's what I thought Jason Siegel did with that recent Muppet movie, was he really injected new life into it from the perspective of somebody who loved the Muppets as a kid. I think you definitely right. that, because there's been a lot of old guard, like, especially around this time, it was all like, Brian Henson was very protective of the Muppets, obviously, you know, Dad's creation, I understand that. Right. But, they made that's a name. Yeah, and then they sold it off to Disney, and Disney was just kind of like, um, let's just kind of do the same thing that they were doing before, but make it a bit raunchier with like the Muppet uh, Wizard of Oz thing and other shit like that that just yeah. didn't work. And even like the Muppets TV show you were talking about, I didn't honestly ever finish the whole season that was up that show, but it did just kind of feel weird that it's like, one thing, don't explore the Muppets as like genuine characters. I think that, sort of, like, exploring their personal lives, it's just, like, I don't know why we would care. Like, this movie kind of is a trouble with that, and that TV show, I think that's what people kind of were turned off by, as opposed to what works is that they're entertainers, they do funny stuff. Like, I've seen some of the clips they've done of, like, they did the Hollywood Bowl concert and the O2 in London, and they just kind of, like, do a Muppet show again. Like, Disney's yeah. doing that streaming service, just do another, like, Muppet show, but get new writers, kind of reinvigorate it get celebrities who want to be on like there's a great sketch i would recommend that's of pigs in space but um they did at the o2 and there's two versions because they did two different performances one is with david Tennant as the doctor and another one with peter davidson <laughs> as the doctor yeah i saw that actually i saw the one with david Tennant. that was yeah. really well done that's i think that's what you really need to do because putting some new life into it but i think keeping that muppets aesthetic of the Muppet Show, different gags, different sketches, celebrity guests. I think simple, pure, that's the way to go, as opposed to... Like a variety doing... show. Yes, yeah, variety, exactly. Yeah. The, the old I, I can agree with that, yeah. Yes, uh, but we've gone far off topic from Muppets in Space, so why don't we just well, do... there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, a final thought, Adam. Nothing you haven't seen before, no heart, nothing to it. I mean, it, it's, to me, this this is easily a pass for anybody, even a Muppet fan. Well, if you're a Muppet fan, you've probably seen it, but I guarantee most Muppet fans haven't watched it more than one. I honestly think my three-year-old would lose interest in this, watching it, and that's saying a lot. Because when I was the, when I was a Muppet fan, you know, as a four or five year old, I loved the Muppets. I don't think I could get her to set through this because it's so didactic. I think it's just what Jim Henson was more than anything else was a guy who made worlds and stories and characters, and I think that's right. what's really missing from a Muppets from Space. It, it's just it's missing really like any specific world with these Muppets in it. It's missing a lot of the heart that you're talking about with the characters that are involved. And the story is just so all over the place. And it, mm -hmm. it's so weird that like it, this is such a convoluted plot for a Muppets movie. It shouldn't be that convoluted. Just have them on one specific goal and have the whole cast involved. And that's where the humor comes from. And I think also, just something that I think this recent era has kind of lost, and something that Frank Oz has pointed out, I think it's very true. Let these performers actually inhabit the characters versus just writing a lame script for them. I think they shackled these, especially like the new puppeteers who have like taken over for like Frank Oz and Jim Henson right. and all these other people. Like uh, what worked about, like what made, I would argue, Frank Oz and Jim Henson such a great comedy duo, even more than just puppeteers, creators, anything else, a comedy duo is they knew how to bounce off each other. How to, like They knew each other's tics, they knew each other's quirks, because when you're down in the fucking throes with your hands up in the air and the darkness, it, it, it's like the trenches. You get 
right. uh, involved with each other, you become friends, and it becomes less of work and more of playing off of each other while you're stuck down there. And I think that's something they need to give these new puppeteers the opportunity to do. And that's something that's missing, really, from Muppets from Space. And on that note, that's the end of our discussion. Uh, we want to thank all of you who support us uh, via the Facebook page uh, at DEDBpod, also on the Twitter account under that same handle. And we got some comments here from people who we asked, what's your favorite, least favorite puppet movie? And uh, first from uh, Don Chambers, who says, I always liked the great Muppet caper because the bicycle scene. Um, that still blows my mind. Without CG, and it honestly looks better than any CG could do, at least to me. It had you believe that, man, these puppets are alive and in our world. I don't know. I just really like the work that went into that. Practical effects over CG any day. I guess if I had to put a least favorite, maybe those Critters movies? <laughs> Lol, those were puppets, right? Yes. yes they <laughs> yeah, were. they were puppets. Those count. I'd argue the first Critters is still fun. But other than that, yeah, they're terrible. I kind of like Two. Two's a fun Two is okay. What's the one was the one with Leo? Was that part four? That's like three. <laughs> four is oh, the one whatever. in space. <laughs> critters from space. <laughs> Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, then it was three, the one with the high-rise. Yes. Yeah, that was Leo. Oh, God. Yeah, those, uh, they, they kind of got terrible. To be fair, I always had a bias just because I was always a Gremlins kid, and I always thought... Yeah, me too. Oh, always, a, yeah. Low-budget Gremlins. I agree. That was so, the same way. Though still watching, I rewatched the first two recently, and they're charming for what they are. They're fun. They're fun, but yeah, they're not Gremlins. I no, agree. They are not that... Um, but yeah, Green Muppet Caper, we debated about this, like, maybe being the best Muppet movie. I think it's also one of the most innovative, because you can tell that whole movie, if you watch it from that practical effects perspective that he's talking about, um, you can tell the whole movie is just, how can I do this shit for the Dark Crystal? How can I utilize, like, weird, different puppet techniques? Mm-hmm. Because that movie is just, like, that's the first time Muppets were underwater with, like, a Miss Piggy number that's, um... The, the first time we get, like, full-size Muppets, which is really creepy with uh, Miss Piggy. They have a f- yeah. full-size Miss Piggy that's always been terrifying. Yeah, that's um, creepy. Um, and even just, like, Muppets standing up and still moving, and a lot of the radio-controlled stuff with, like, the bicycle scene, which I love was their response to the fact that when the first Muppet movie came out, they were just like, oh, man, people are going to love, like, this scene where Gonzo is flying up in the air with balloons and all this other stuff. And all anyone could talk about was, holy fucking shit, Kermit's riding a bicycle. What the fuck? <laughs> People apparently went fucking crazy when that happened. Because it's uh, still impressive, Dan. It's not yes. wrong. It's impressive. No, and then they were just like, okay, you want one Muppet. I, we, Hey, yo, dog, we heard you like Muppets on bikes. How about a bunch of Muppets on bikes? Right. Brian Kane says, Team America seems a given. Dark Crystal? There doesn't seem to be too many puppet features aside from Jim Henson stuff. Unless we're counting SFX subterfuge puppetry. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, what are some other ones that maybe aren't Jim Henson directly related? Oh, God. As far as puppet movies? Mm-hmm. Or at least, oh, you know, God. obviously puppets aren't limited to just like Muppet style characters. Well, you got the whole Tim Burton group. Right. Tim Burton stop animation. You got the, uh, oh, God, I can't think of their names. But the company that does like Paranorman and like Coraline, a, yes. like I mean, and they—if you want to see good puppetry still in films, those are the ones to see. Dude, I cannot believe Kubo and the Two Strings did not get enough attention as it deserved. That was yeah. easily one of the best movies of the year. The year it came out, easily. No, no yeah, uh, Leica is still chugging along. And if you wonder how is Leica still making movies when they keep bombing, 
the big thing, Laika is uh, led by the son of the guy who created Nike. Yeah, he's, they, they're doing all right. Then. They got enough money. Yeah, they got enough money so they could, which I'm so glad for, like, spend those millions on yeah. making great art. Sure. Yeah. Also, Dude, I found fantastic out. Films. Also, I found out that guy, Travis Knight, started his career as a rapper. That's how he used this initial. Oh, God. And it, it exists on YouTube. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of one Laika movie that's come out that I didn't like. I liked all of them. You like a, a lot? I like a, a like a laka. <laughs> waka waka. Our next waka waka. <laughs> uh, Michael Payton says Dark Crystal. Um, and we actually, I'll read a few other feedbacks here that kind of go into a lot of Dark Crystal love here. Uh, Mallory Somerville says, even though they scared the shit out of me as a kid, the high fantasy puppet movies from the 80s like The Dark Crystal and The NeverEnding Story are all-time classics. I wish that the genre would make a comeback. The Labyrinth is still one of my favorite movies. And Nate Thomas also says, okay, for a terrible one, The Dark Crystal. Weird little alien naked elf children playing flutes and crap. A good one is Team America. A terrible one is Howard the Duck. Oh, dear Lord. She makes out with it. And the rock song. And she of course, fucks it. She, she fucks it. I mean, she doesn't yeah. make out with it. She fucks that duck. Implied fucks, but yes. Um, yeah. But, and of course, there is Puppet Master X, Axis Rising. Um, and then my favorite of all time is The Great Muppet Caper, classic, and Charles Grodin was terrific in it. Yes, we agree with all that, but yeah. I know, Adam, you and I have actually spoken about this on the show, that you're not a big fan of Dark Crystal and NeverEnding Story, right? No, 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 I, I, I'm not a fan of Dark Crystal. NeverEnding Story always will have a uh, soft spot in my heart. Dark Crystal, to me, is it's just, I, I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just can't get into it. I, even when I was a kid, I don't think I liked it a lot. I I mean, it's just not for me, man. That that scene even Nate's talking about with the weird naked elf kid playing the flute by the lake. I remember seeing it as a kid going, what? What is going on? Like, it just, it never, I never connected with it. Now, I, do I understand why people love it? Absolutely. Just not for me. Well, I mean, it is but, definitely, uh, it's more in terms of the fantasy. It's less Disney, more Tolkien. It's sort of Jim oh, Henson's oh, yeah, attempt at a whole Tolkien-style universe, which I've never been a huge fan of Tolkien in general. I like the Lord of the Rings movies, but I could never quite get into sort of that world-building mythology fantasy. But I sure. I remember, especially with the, the Dark Crystal, it really is the fact that Jim Henson made a whole fucking world out of nothing. Like, there's no humans, there's no, like, really thing that you can ground to beyond sort of the... Sort of Joseph Campbell archetypes that the characters go through, oh. but just like the actual species, the various different creatures, um, it, it was just something that it's that's another example of like no one's really ever tried that much before or since. In all honesty, um, on that scale with those kind of creatures and, and that practical form, um, and it always has sort of an attachment to me. Um, that's why I don't go into as much of a labyrinth because you've got Jennifer Connelly or David right. Murray. I understand. And Labyrinth is not one of mine either. I, I'm not, I don't really get into that one either. Though no but, uh, disrespect a, to David Bowie and his crotch. Oh my god, no. His huge uh, package. No. His huge, huge oh. package, yes. On a sidebar, though, uh, Nate Thomas is actually my older brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to annoy him when we were children, I would sing the Howard the Duck rock song, <laughs> but only the chorus over and over. I would literally get in his ear and go, Howard the Duck, Howard the Duck, Howard the Duck, over and over and over. <laughs> so I think I might have killed him on that movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> although, it's a bad movie, but still. It's a bad movie, though I think we've gotten worse both Lucasfilm productions and 
Marvel productions since. I, I, I can't disagree with you. No. Uh, that's one we might want to put in our back pockets for a future episode. Uh, yes, maybe. Um, we want to, before we go, thank a few people. Thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, we also want to thank Emily Scarda for the art that's used on our show. You can uh, request art from her at fiverr with two R's dot com slash ee scarda. And of course, uh, along with being on the Double Edge Double Bill Twitter, you can also find us on our own individual Twitter accounts. I am at not the who's Tommy. Malika fan six nine six nine. See, I didn't even have to go to me. <laughs> I own it now. <laughs> and if you are in the Atlanta, Georgia area on. Labor Day weekend, which is from August 31st through September 3rd, I will be doing panels at DragonCon. It's the biggest convention in the southern United States, and uh, here's a list of the panels I'll be doing. First will be Fighting Unbeatable Evil, an Angel Fan panel, that is on Saturday, September 1st at 1 o'clock p.m. at at the Chastain 1-2 at the Weston Hotel. Then on uh, Saturday at 7, I'll be doing a Beetlejuice 30th Anniversary panel, at Peachtree 1-2 over at the Westin as well. And then on Sunday the 2nd at 7 p.m., I'll be doing From Slayer to Hero, a Buffy retrospective at the Chaston 1-2 at the Westin. And so on Sunday the 2nd at 8.30 p.m., I will be at the Peachtree 1-2 Westin doing the Let the Right One In 10th Anniversary panel, which I will be moderating. So come see me, especially if you're a fan of the show. We'll have a drink. It'll be great. Have a couple drinks. Have a couple hundred drinks. You know, <laughs> have alcohol. Buy some drinks, people. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Get them drunk. Yes. Um, <laughs> and we also want to encourage people. We've said this before to go out and subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate and review us to give the show more visibility. Especially as we mentioned last week, if you email us a picture of your iTunes review to doubleedgedoublebill at gmail dot com, and you're a U.S. resident, we'll be able to send you a free sticker pack that features our logo. Oh, absolutely. You'll get at least two of each. There's two types. You'll get at least four stickers. And then you can throw on your laptop, on your backpack, on your silly car, whatever you want to do. People ask you what you got going on. Like, this is a podcast I listen to. Don't give me a ticket, officer. <laughs> on your trapper keeper, even. Right. Impress, all yeah. of the, impress all the popular kids at school with your double-edged, <laughs> double-billed trapper keeper. Yep. <laughs> Uh, well, on that note, it is time to turn off the music and display the lights no more, Adam. The show is over for the evening. But I want to go to Hollywood. <laughs> hey, guys, I love you. Come on. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs>